Hey, what's up, everybody? It's DG back with another episode of The Swipe File. This time, this was a conversation live from Hypergrowth 19 in Boston when we took over the Wang, graffitied it. It was was amazing. I got the privilege of interviewing the CMO of SurveyMonkey. Her name is Leela Srinivasan. She is amazing. I first met her at Saster last year, and we did a podcast interview there. This conversation was way different, way better, because instead of talking about Whatever she talked about at Saster, we talked about her as a CMO, the path to becoming CMO. She was VP of Marketing at OpenTable, CMO of a company called Lever, and Director of Marketing at LinkedIn. So we talked about the path from director to VP to CMO, what she learned along the way. And this was all live on stage from Hypergrowth 19. I know you're going to love this episode so much so that you're going to say, DG, you need to get Leela on this podcast to finish your conversation. So here it is. I'll shut up now. Here's my conversation with Leela, the CMO of SurveyMonkey, on stage live, Hypergrowth 19. So I, I have a tough job right now, which is like, you always want to start by telling the audience how hard your job is as a speaking tip, if you want to steal that. But um, I have to try to interview you in 20 minutes, and you and I traded a bunch of emails this weekend, <laughs> and... We, we kicked around a bunch of questions, but here's where I want to start. We, we don't need to go through your intros. Everybody's going to look you up on LinkedIn and, and go find you on Twitter. So we're not going to talk about your bio. Because okay. I got to be honest, most marketing interviews, they're like, so you, went to, you worked at Bain. Tell me about that. Okay. So here's what I want to do, though. I want to take each one of your companies that you've been at, Lever, OpenTable, LinkedIn, and Bain, yep. and BusinessWire, not to, not to forget them. What's one thing now as a CMO of a publicly traded, you know, a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar market cap company? Give me one thing from each of those companies that's helped shape you as a, as a marketing leader. Let's start with Bain. Wow. Okay. So Bain, we're going back some ways, Let's right? Go back. Management consulting company. I was there from 2006 to nine, straight out of business school. They had 10 values, one of which was be at cause. And I looked at it at first and I was like, what the hell does that mean? So actually what it means is if you see something is broken, Mm. then you're allowed to gripe about it for about 30 seconds. And then you have to quickly shift gears and figure out how you're going to make it better. So you saying like, oh, that's not my job. That's not my problem. Doesn't fly. Absolutely not. I love that lesson. LinkedIn. Oh, goodness. So so many lessons. Let's see. Can I do two? Sure. sure. So the first, one of their values, again, relationships matter. I've always been prided myself on being a connector and really, you know, trying to help people and bring them together. And I found at LinkedIn and since then, it's really been all about relationships, Uh, relationships with peers, with customers, with colleagues, with vendors, with whoever it happens to be in the community. So that was one thing. The second was as a marketer. So I joined LinkedIn as their first product marketer for Talent Solutions, which was their largest, fastest growing business. And the dirty secret was I had never been a product marketer before and didn't really know what I was doing, it turned out. So there was this terrifying meeting on Mondays called the monetization meeting. And I would troop in there with a bunch of product managers and everybody was so buttoned up and knew exactly what was going on. And I, it was, again, it was terrifying to begin with. What I found is if I, if I took the right data into that conversation, then I was fine. People really, really were looking for a data-driven approach. And pretty early on, I latched onto the fact that I was probably closer to my customer. And so the unique insight I could bring on the customer was what was going to set me apart. So actually being close to the customer probably made you a good product marketer, even though you had no prior background as a product marketer. Absolutely, yeah. I would say 
I think you've heard a lot this morning about customer experience yeah. and you know, marketing is playing an increasing role in that. The single thing we can do to be valuable, more valuable than, than ever before to our organizations is be close to the customer and know what they need, what their challenges, pain points are. And, so and I think today it's so easy. You can get so much of that online and obviously you know, through something like SurveyMonkey, right? Quick plug. But I think the value is like one of the things, the reason we love doing events like this is because you're going to bump into a customer in the hallway and they're going to tell you something that's not going to show up in some spreadsheet or some you know research that you went out and did. And yeah. that's an insight that you can go back to take your team. And you're standing on that saying, like, this is, I actually met this customer at Hypergrowth. Here's what they had to say. Yeah, we actually have at uh, SurveyMonkey now, we have a Slack channel, which we call Customer Interaction Reports. And I've challenged every single employee at SurveyMonkey at some point during the year to file one of these reports. And it's just a quick write-up of a customer that you met, what services or products are they using, what's their feedback, how happy are they, What's an insight you took away? Yeah. These all get pumped into a Slack channel so the entire organization can see those. Love that. And it's all real conversations. That's right. Okay, open table. Well, I, I mean, it's sort of surreal to be on the stage after Danny Meyer. I had the privilege of getting to know Danny uh, while I was at Open Table. And so I learned a lot from, from Danny himself. I mean, cool. I think the last uh, couple of weeks, the, the papers have been full of. Oh, I just said papers. <laughs> Are they still a thing? Yes. The media has been full of uh, stories around the business roundtable and just this focus on stakeholders as opposed to narrowly focused on profits. Danny's been walking that talk for, for years now, so I, I definitely learned a lot of that from him. I think as a marketer, what I learned was that just the importance of balancing global and local. So uh, SurveyMonkey, uh, sorry, OpenTable was in six different markets at the time, and our success in those markets ranged from wildly successful, US for example, to dismal. Japan, and just figuring out what we could repurpose from HQ in every market versus what we had to make unique to that specific market in order to be successful uh, was a lot of hard graft, but uh, I think it, it was probably the single thing I took away from that. All right, last one, Lever, which is your, your first CMO game. Yes. So for those who don't know Lever, it's a recruiting software company. I was with them from Series A through C. And again, so many learnings, but um, what I would focus on is um, everything related to design thinking. So Lever is, the CEO, Sarah, is a design thinker. She, she graduated from the D School at Stanford. And at all times, we were asking ourselves the question of why. So one of our company values actually was no why. And I found that at Lever, we went deeper and deeper into really, again, understanding pain points, challenges, not just what were customers doing, but why, mm. so that we could in turn build better products, services, experiences, marketing material, you name it. Okay, so you're a CMO now. And CMOs notoriously, maybe this is only in marketing circles, but I think whenever you talk about CMOs, you talk about, you hear about how CMOs have one of the shortest job tenures in the C-suite. Yep. And you say that very confidently. <laughs> <laughs> one of the short. If you think it's bad out so here, I you should see it in Silicon Valley. It's like doubly worse. Yeah, because, okay, so I wanted to like have some, some structure for this interview, so I wrote notes, right? Imagine that. So I, I looked it up, and there was a story in the Wall Street Journal earlier this summer. They said the average tenure for a CMO is 43 months. Mm -hmm. And you know what's worse? 31 months. 31 months. Yep. Okay, so why, from your seat now, right, why is that? Why is the CMO job so hard? Is it that marketing is just hard and, like, everyone has an opinion? There's a, a, a comedian that I listen to, and he says, um, you know, the, the funny part about stand-up is that everyone's made their friends laugh, 
And so everyone thinks, I could do stand-up, screw this guy, right? And I kind of sometimes think it's the same way with marketing. They're like, well, I can, I, I know like what good stuff looks like and you know, I can design, I can oh, write. Oh, I got stories. So. All right, so, so, I'm gonna, so that's a long-winded way of, of me saying like, why is the CMO job so short and do you think that's ever gonna change? I hope it's gonna change. I think there are a few reasons. One is, and I think this is improving, but I don't know that marketing leaders build tight enough relationships with the internal stakeholders and partners that matter. So I joke about being joined at the hip with my chief sales officer. We actually literally came on stage at an all hands with uh, like tied, like a three-legged race just to prove the point in a sort of really obnoxious way. Yeah. But it, you know, people have not forgotten that. Yeah. It's really important to have that tight relationship with sales and also with product, right? So we're kind of stuck in the middle. And I don't know again that all marketers necessarily spend enough time cultivating those relationships, making sure that your incentives are aligned, your goals are aligned, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Can we, let's, I want to go deep on that because I feel like you live that, but I also feel like a lot, talk to any marketing person and, and they will say something like, you got to be tight with sales, but like, how does it actually play out mm -hmm. with you and, you know, the sales team, you know, whoever runs sales at, at SurveyMonkey? Because yeah. I think it is easy on, on service to say like, well, yeah, you got to be tight with sales, but how do you actually like do that? What does that relationship look like between you two? Yeah, I think it comes down to holding one another ridiculously accountable. I'll give you an example. If we are in a meeting and either one of us has concerns about something, I typically will call John on his commute home or he'll call me on the on commute to work and we will just have a real conversation because I think we genuinely know that we are in this together. Sales cannot be successful without marketing. If marketing is, if sales is not successful and marketing is not doing its part, then marketing, you know, this is the back to the 31 months median tenure. So, yeah. so I think we understand intimately that we have to work together really closely in order to, to drive mutual success. Yeah. Sometimes where things fall apart is not shining a bright enough light on the metrics and on the stats, right? So I go back to my time at Lever where for a while we didn't have a head of sales. And so basically the entire executive team sort of carved up the sales organization and we all sort of were caretaker leader of part of it. That must have been a real treat. You know, maybe not for everyone. I think it was probably deeply uncomfortable for our CFO. But for me, it was great. I mean, the other secret that you didn't get to in the bio. So I actually, I spent five and a half years in sales mm. before I went to business school. I actually was a salesperson in Boston for two years. So worked at Two Center Plaza Love down it. the street. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I really empathize with the, the salesperson, right? I've, I've carried the bag. I've, I've walked in the shoes. I know how hard it is. So back at Lever, when we had this situation where we didn't have a sales leader for a while, uh, I actually called a daily stand-up. So it was me, my director of demand gen, marketing ops, two sales, a sales director, sales manager, and sales ops. And we would sit down and we would look at the funnel. Mm. And we would look to see, you know, we'd, we'd hold our reps and our SDRs accountable to their SLAs. We called the meeting. It was We were Team Squelch, which I think my team thought was, was something I made up, but actually it's an onomatopoeic word from the UK. So anyway, so Team Squelch. Team Squelch. Yes, because we we're SQLs, right? Nice. We were, it was the quest for SQLs. Love it. Right? So we would sit down in this meeting for half an hour every day, and I think the, the SDRs would sit there sort of nervously waiting to be pinged for all the things they hadn't done, but we would sit there and we would slack them saying, hey, Bobby, what's up with you know this lead? Check it out. You need to close it out or advance it. So it was only by peering deeply into the funnel and getting really aligned on what was working what wasn't that we were able to, to move forward. I love that example because I think what we get 
sometimes as marketers, we get in our own way and we just like to sit back and only look at the metrics and only look at the dashboards in Salesforce and only look at that stuff. Versus like, I think with the golden, what you said is you all sat around together and did this, yes. right? It's one thing to ping a sales rep and say, why didn't you follow up on this lead, right? But then if you're actually having this conversation, you're talking to the funnel in person. It's something we did in the early days of Drift that I, that I thought was great. But now you have 90 people on your team, right? Like you have, there's 90 marketers at SurveyMonkey. How do you still create some of that magic from like the early days of we're all sitting down looking at the funnel together? Have you been able to replicate that at all? Or? Yeah, it's, it's a different conversation as you scale. So uh, across our different brands, we'll, we'll, by the end of the year, we'll be closer, close to 100, I think it is. And so there are pieces where, I mean, you have to be comfortable to get deep and go into those details now and then. These days, I, I spend less time doing that than I would like, mm. but I trust my team to actually accomplish yeah, that. Yeah, I think, you, so we, we traded emails last night about, I wanted to ask you some questions about stuff you bought, and you actually said, like, I actually haven't bought anything because I have trust in my team and they do it. And so it probably does come back to, instead of you being the one in that meeting, you now have to build a team that you trust and you trust that they're having those conversations. Yeah, and it comes back to, are we aligned on the goals? Do they know what they're trying to accomplish? They're far closer to the, you know, in, in the case of B2B, they're far closer to the sales experience and the, the funnel than I will be at, the, yeah. at this point. And so I trust them to know what to to bring in. I will have questions around whether it overlaps with other technology and, is you know, obviously is it in budget? Do we think that are we just buying technology for the sake of it? Not that markers ever do that, no. but you know. There's uh, only like 12 SaaS products today anyway. Like you're, you're fine. 12,000? <laughs> yeah, it might be, Probably it closer. might have changed by now. Yeah. Okay. I want to get you, I want to get to some other stuff. I want to talk, there's a lot of marketers, uh, t a lot of marketers in this room. And I think the one thing we don't hit on enough is career progression as a marketer. We talk to a lot of CMOs, but a lot of people haven't dug into like, how do you actually become a CMO? So I want to just going back from, from each stage, because if we go back to each of those jobs earlier, you went from director to VP to CMO. So let's, let's go unpack each of those stages. So what did it take for you to go from director to VP of marketing? What was the biggest change or what, what things did you have to do? And in full honesty, one of the things was a company switch. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I'm at LinkedIn, six and a half thousand employee company at the time, yeah. director level. LinkedIn had a notoriously uh, conservative uh, structure at the time. So I sort of clawed my way to, to director. I was offered a role at OpenTable at the VP level. And so went from a six and a half thousand person company in sort of mid to senior level to VP level at an eight or 900 person company. And I think the reason that made sense for, for OpenTable was the scope of my responsibility my team size, the budgets I, I was in right. charge of and so forth actually mirrored fairly well. well I was going to say, because I think sometimes people get caught up in the opposite of that, right? Like yeah. the perspective is you were a director at a 6,000 person company. That very much can be a VP at an open table where I think the t places where I've seen some people get stuck in their career is, you know, there's 40 people at the company and you're in that role. And I think that's when you, you, you don't really see how you can connect the dots. Yeah, I mean, I know it's easy to say when you have have the title, but I try and encourage marketers not to get too hung up on title. Uh, focus on the experiences that you're building, what you're learning, because that's really what matters. That is what is going to catapult your success. Yeah. So w was there anything you had to change? Like, or, or were you kind of, did you feel like you were already doing a VP level job at LinkedIn? 
you know, I think in, I think in some ways I was. What changed, of course, in moving up the chain was just proximity to and frequency of contact with the C-suite. So I was one level down, and that was actually, I was super happy at LinkedIn. I, I bled blue, I kind of mixed the Kool-Aid, I dispensed it. I was really like <laughs> focused on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. And I had no intention of, of leaving. In fact, I relocated my family back from the East Coast to double down with LinkedIn, and the eve of my one-way ticket, I got this unexpected offer. And I was just so confused. So the, anyway, the reason I took it was realizing that in my sort of sly and sneaky interview process that, wasn't, that didn't feel like it was one, I spent quality time brainstorming with the CEO. Like I spent 45 minutes with Matt Roberts at the time who was the CEO. And I realized that was the kind of experience I wasn't going to have for quite some time at LinkedIn. Mm. You know, I, I, could, I had probably presented to Jeff Weiner four or five times in my life, which, you know, was still a thrill, but it just wasn't the same as sort of week in, week out sort of contact. Okay, what... What about from VP to CMO? <laughs> maybe, can, maybe... I, can I tell you another secret? Yes. I think the job description was originally written as VP. And in negotiating, I asked if, I, if we could make it CMO. And they said yes. <laughs> I mean, Have a good day. Seriously. Have a good night. We're all set. So back to that 27 or 31 month, 44 month thing, right? There just aren't enough really yeah. strong marketers. And so, you know, part of that is the job of marketing is really hard, but part of it is supply and demand. So don't be afraid to ask for the things that really matter to you. In some ways, titles are actually pretty cheap for organizations, especially at an earlier stage. Mm. So that, again, going back to what was I coming from and to, I went from a, by then, OpenTable was probably a 1,200-person company, although it had been acquired by a much larger organization, to a 40-person Series A startup. So you can bet I was going to ask for a different title. Yeah, and you probably had a lot different, uh, you could offer them a lot more at a different stage because you had just seen 6,000-person company, 1,000-person company. Now there's 40 people people in the same room, like you can, you can control everything there. That's right. Yeah. Okay. These prep notes are so good. It, it hurts that we, this is, we got to go so fast. I'll, <laughs> I'll share them later. Okay. And they're, they're only good because you got, you've said a lot of good stuff that I was just able to grab. And one of those things was, you know, every marketing leader you talk to, you know, they say, Leela, how are you measured? And you talk about MQLs and mm -hmm. pipeline and revenue and meetings. One thing, every interview I've seen with you, you mention how you want to be gold on also marketing team happiness. Can you talk about how, A, how you measure that and just B, how, how you kind of move the needle on that? Because I think a lot of people in this room know how to make the difference and, you know, hit the MQL number. But how do we, you know, how can you actually move the needle on team happiness? Yeah. So I'm going to step back for a second and tell you why this is so important. So it ties in with, you know, customer experience is super important. So is employee experience. And we live in, I, I like to think of this this age is the feedback economy, where anything that can be known about your organization will be known. Mm. The web, social, everything is super transparent. So if your employees aren't happy, that's going to show up on Glassdoor. They're going to talk to one another. And so thinking about the fact that it's so visible and uh, adding to that the fact that the way you treat your customers, a lot of it is, is about your team and the team that you're building. And then coming back to this, this churn that goes on in marketing, right? It's really hard to hire marketers that are qualified at all levels, right? I believe we have to do as leaders is provide learning experiences, provide development, and so on and so forth to every marketer on the, in the organization. I think it's what people are looking for in this day and age. And if they're not finding it with you, they're being tapped on the shoulder by your competitor in the neighboring town and being offered everything, basically. And so sure. I think it's, it's a smart business move. It's sort of essential in this day and age if you want to retain your people to offer learning, development, and everything else. And also just listen to your employees and understand the feedback. So... Working at SurveyMonkey, we do have tools and technology that help with this, of course. 
we happen to use a purpose-built solution that we, we built called uh, SurveyMonkey Engage. And within that, we have a series of pulse surveys that come out every other month, super short, that you can take two minutes at a time on your cell phone. And that helps us measure how employees are feeling about five factors that we've shown scientifically are proven to be correlated with engagement and uh, retention. And so we do that. We do that regularly. We also send out a bigger survey twice a year. And we talk about the results as a leadership team we talk about the results back out to the organization, and then we make changes based on that. So one example for me on this learning and development piece is one of our scores in, um, for the factor that ties into that was lower than I would like. And looking through the, the color commentary, I realized that we weren't doing a good enough job of figuring out how, how we could help marketers learn and grow in the role. So from there, I ran a follow-up survey. We did some focus groups. We came up with some very, some very specific tactics that we were going to roll out to the organization to help them learn from one another and also from marketers that we're now bringing in on a regular basis to inspire the team, basically. So it comes down to listening to feedback, kind of figuring out what to do with that feedback, and then taking action. I love it. Most people would answer that question and like not gone into detail, and so I love that because I can hear, literally hear somebody over here typing and writing notes <laughs> about all this stuff. Okay, we, we want to wrap up. we got to wrap up. I'm, I'm sorry to have to do it, but we're going to fly through these, okay? I'm going to okay. put you on the spot. I want to do a little word association. Did I say that right? Association. 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 With you. Okay. A big time CMO. I'm going to say a word and you got to give me like a couple words. A sentence is okay on, on like just whatever comes to mind. Events. Workload. <laughs> did Seriously. You, did, did we plant that? No. That? So, I, I mean, I uh, was behind the scenes at LinkedIn's Workload. Talent Connect. Well, it, it's a labor of love is my point, right? Yeah. And I tweeted out like a week ago. I was like, the, the cycle of an event is like a week leading, like going to do the event. All year, you're like, why the hell are we doing an event? Then this day, you're like, let's do more events. This is amazing. And then on Thursday, we're like, oh, my God, we got to do this again. That's the cycle of events. It's okay. like babies, actually, in that way, right? It's uh, like, yeah, my anyway. wife and I just had our second, and we said we're never having kids again. <laughs> but they're so cute. I know. In six months, we're going to have an, Yeah, it's going to happen. Whatever. <laughs> you heard it here first. She's not here yet. Leah's not coming until two, so it's fine. Okay, webinars. Tired. Ooh. And I say that, well... Can I at least give a... Please. My team will hate this, actually. We're running a virtual conference two and a half weeks, and it will be fantastic. The point is <laughs> the point is that the format is a little bit tired. And so I think the onus is on all of us to liven it up, to figure out how to make it more interactive, yes. to layer in questions, all that good stuff. Preach. Podcasts. Commute. Commute. I have a long one, so I listen to a lot of podcasts. What do you listen to? Give me one. Oh, boy. I knew you were going to say that. So I, I go in and out of uh, Reed Hoffman's Masters of Scale. Yes. It's a little theatrical, even for my taste sometimes, <laughs> but uh, there's some yeah. really good guests. LinkedIn. Connections. Connections. Actually, targeting. Okay. They your other, good your others were better, but it's fine. <laughs> YouTube. <sighs> Ubiquitous. <laughs> AI. Hyped. Ooh. Stick around. Are you with me? <laughs> not, all right. Not all AI is created equal. That's we got to go. Saying. Give it up for Leela. Thank you. Hey, 
Hey, what's up, everybody? It's DG, and I hope that I'll see you at Hypergrowth in San Francisco. It's November 18th. The venue is amazing. We were there last year, and it's going to be even better this year. But I want to hook you up as a loyal listener of this podcast. So if you use my code SWIPEFILE99, you'll get a huge discount on a ticket. It's something like three, 400%. I don't know. Not a math guy. But you'll get a huge discount, and we'll see you there. I'm going to be there. I'm flying out to San Francisco. I think I'm going to MC that day. So I'll be there. It's going to be an amazing day. Lots of learning. If you're in marketing, if you're listening to this podcast, you got to go, okay? Hypergo San Francisco, November 18th. Use my promo code SWIPEFILE99 and you can go and get your ticket at hypergrowth.com. That's pretty simple. See ya.